0: chapter thirteen of captain john crane by thomas wallace knox this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tom hirsch chapter thirteen david and i visit our old home along in the spring of eighteen o eight david and i arrived in boston he from a voyage to sweden and i from one to china The owners of our ships announced that they would be laid up for the present, and as soon as anything could be found for us to do, they would give us employment. So we determined in our period of idleness to visit our old home. We had been prosperous and saved a fair amount of money, most of which we had sent to our parents. Having reached the office of second mate on first-class ships, We thought it beneath our dignity to walk all the way to Pembroke, and so we took passage in a wagon that had recently come to Boston from Concord, the capital of New Hampshire, with a load of butter, cheese, and other things produced in the country. The wagoner was taking back a light load of goods, the proceeds of the sale of the articles I mentioned, and had plenty of room for two passengers we could have gone by stage-coach and saved several hours in time but the difference between the stage fare and that of the wagon was enough to make us decide upon the slower mode of conveyance we received a hearty welcome from all our friends i am glad to say we found everybody well and those whom we had left as boys and girls were mostly grown to be men and women My parents told how they had missed me greatly and longed to see me back again. My mother was so surprised when I walked unannounced into the house that she came near fainting. Tears came into my father's eyes, and he greeted me with a choking voice. But very quickly the voice cleared up, and he said he felt like capering about the room everybody complimented us on our healthy appearance our bronzed faces and our well-developed figures which had been hardened and toughened by our seafaring life we were the heroes of the time and place and were kept busy narrating our adventures to all our old friends we remained at home about two weeks and then fearful lest we might miss a good opportunity of going to sea again we returned to boston in the same way as we had come from that city and with the same wagoner we went straight to our former boarding-house and as we approached saw just outside the door the familiar forms and faces of our old friends bill and joe there was a hearty greeting all around and you may be sure that the evening and the next day were spent in telling the adventures which each had passed through since we were last together the most interesting of all the stories was that of my old friend bill haines which i will endeavor to give as nearly as possible in his own words you remember that affair of the chesapeake don't you said haines of course i do i replied and pretty nearly everybody in the country knows about it well i was in that little brush said haines and i can probably tell you a good deal more than you know about it i went down the coast from new york to the potomac river along in the early part of february eighteen o seven. When we got to Washington, the crew of the coaster was paid off and discharged. The captain said he was going to lie up there. He didn't know for how long. I went to looking around for something, but there wasn't a craft I could ship on, leastways not a merchant craft. I heard that the Chesapeake, thirty-eight Guns, which was then lying at Washington, was going to be sent out to the Mediterranean to fight the Barbary Coast Pirates. And sure enough she was put into commission on the 22nd day of February. Captain Gordon was put in command of the ship, and Commodore Barron was selected to hoist a broad pennant in her as commander of the squadron. As soon as the orders had been issued they began enlisting a crew, and i was one of the men who enlisted they had a good set of officers all round and no doubt the crew was a good one but it was very green when we dropped down the potomac about the fourth of june and anchored in hampton roads when we left the navy yard at washington we had only twelve guns on board and a part of our stores and we stayed in Hampton Roads about three weeks completing our armament and taking on provisions, water, ammunition, and other necessary things. "'You seem to have taken things very leisurely,' I remarked as Haines paused for a moment. "'Yes, that's so,' was the reply. "'But then in time of peace you don't do things in a hurry on a man o'er.' although the ship was put in commission on the twenty-second of february it wasn't until the twenty-second of june that we got under way from hampton roads bound to the mediterranean i must go back a little and say that while we were enlisting the crew the british minister complained to the navy department that we had taken in three deserters from his majesty's ship melampus the Melampus had been lying in hampton roads and they claimed that three of her men got away from her and enlisted on the chesapeake didn't our government do anything about it i asked yes haines replied they told commodore Barron what the british minister had said and the commodore told captain gordon to look into the matter and report did he find that they really had three British deserters enlisted for the Chesapeake? "'Well, yes, they did,' said Haynes. The three men were actually deserters from the Molampus, but they all claimed to be impressed Americans who were serving unwillingly on the British ship, and had taken the first opportunity that offered to escape from their unjust and illegal detention.' one of the men was said to be a native of the eastern shore of maryland a part of the country that captain gordon came from he made a careful investigation the captain did and was satisfied with the truth of the man's story another of the alleged deserters was a colored man and there was hardly any chance to doubt the truth of his assertion that he was a native-born american and a victim of the british system of impressment the story of the third sailor was not entirely clear but it was pretty well established and captain gordon made his report accordingly it went through the customary channels and was afterwards sent to the british minister who appears to have been satisfied as nothing more was said on the subject the story had circulated around on the ship but had been pretty well forgotten when we sailed for the mediterranean when we went out to sea we encountered a british fleet of four ships that had been lying around there for several months watching some french frigates which had taken shelter near annapolis one of them was the melampus from which the three seamen already mentioned had deserted another was the balana seventy-four guns and another was the leopard fifty guns the leopard really carried fifty-six guns which made her a much more powerful craft than the chesapeake when we hove anchor and put to sea the leopard did the same thing and as she was several miles further down the bay she was a good distance ahead of us when we got into open water we got off cape henry a little afternoon and as we passed the cape we saw the leopard a few miles to windward heading off to sea with a very light wind a good breeze came up in a little while and both the leopard and the chesapeake got it and held directly off the land when the chesapeake tacked the leopard did likewise but nobody thought there was anything unusual or suspicious in the movements of the british beggar sailors who had been around hampton roads a good deal said that the british cruisers were in the habit of standing out that way just to keep themselves in practice i think it was about three o'clock when both ships were about eight miles from land the chesapeake tacked to windward again and the leopard wore around and came down upon our weather quarter when she was within a hundred yards of us she hailed and told commodore Barron that she had dispatches for him there was nothing suspicious in this as it was a common thing for the british officers to put dispatches on board any of the american warships bound for europe both vessels hove to and a boat from the leopard came alongside the chesapeake when the officer from the leopard reached the chesapeake's deck haines continued he was shown into the cabin where commodore Barron received him then the english lieutenant produced an order signed by vice-admiral berkeley and addressed to all the captains on ships under his command directing them if they fell in with the chesapeake at sea and out of the waters of the united states to show her commander this order to search for deserters and proceed to search for them at the same time he presented a note from the commander of the leopard addressed to the commander of the chesapeake referring to the order of the vice-admiral and hoping that every question about the deserters might be adjusted in a manner that the harmony between the two countries should remain undisturbed that was an impertinent piece of business i remarked what did commodore barron say in answer to the demand he said he knew of no such deserters as described and that the recruiting officers had been particularly instructed by the government not to accept any deserters from the english ships i suppose that the demand was for the three men from the melampus was it not david inquired no not altogether said haines as they were after men from other ships who were supposed to have joined the chesapeake while she lay at hampton roads there was one man in particular who had run away from the british man o' war halifax who met his old captain on the street in norfolk one day and insulted him the captain put a spy on the man's track and claimed that he was on board the chesapeake at the time of the affair with the leopard he was the one the english officers were particularly anxious to get a hold of the english lieutenant remained on board the chesapeake about half an hour when a signal of recall was hoisted on the leopard and he returned carrying the answer of commodore barron as soon as he had gone commodore barron sent for captain gordon and told him to get the gun-deck clear but this work had already been commenced an hour before without reference to the leopard after giving this order commodore barron went on deck to examine the leopard he then discovered the state of preparation on board the english ship and that the latter was in a condition to fight at any moment the leopard was lying on the chesapeake's weather quarter her guns trained matches burning people at their quarters and everything ready to begin a heavy fire while the chesapeake was littered and lumbered her crew had not yet exercised their guns and they would only been mustered at quarters three times altogether the men were busy coiling away cables and moving some cabin furniture and other things which were all standing aft and there was a good deal of baggage on the gun deck Some of the lieutenants had been suspicious of the movements of the leopard from the beginning and were pushing the work of clearing the gun deck as fast as possible. All the guns were loaded and shotted, but while this was being done, it was found that there were not enough rammers, wads, matches, gun locks, and powder horns. Things were in this way when the leopard's boat pulled back to her. As soon as her people were out of her, she was dropped astern, and almost as soon as the lieutenant reached her deck, the leopard's commander hailed the Chesapeake. Commodore Barron answered that he didn't understand the hail, and it was repeated two or three times. Then the leopard fired a shot ahead of the Chesapeake and I don't think it was more than twenty seconds after that shot was fired when she gave us a full broadside. Did we fire back with our broadside? I asked. Commodore Barron gave the orders to fire, but there wasn't a gun ready. The gunner had been ordered to fill the powder horns with priming powder, but when they were wanted it was found that he had neglected to do so. After a while some priming powder was brought, but there were no matches lighted, and the loggerheads were not hot enough. While we were trying to fire one of the guns, the leopard kept pouring broadsides into us, and we couldn't reply because everything was in confusion. Didn't we fire a gun at all? I had an impression we did, I remarked yes we fired one gun and only one but it wasn't until after commodore Barron had ordered the flag haul down just as the ensign reached the taffrail one gun was fired from the second division of the ship and it was discharged by means of a coal brought from the galley in the fingers of lieutenant allen the officer of the division Of course, the leopard stopped firing as soon as our colors were lowered, and Commodore Barron immediately sent a boat on board the British ship to say that the Chesapeake was at the disposal of the English captain. The latter sent two of his officers to muster the American crew, and the three men who were claimed to be deserters from the Malampus and one from the Halifax were taken away commodore barron then sent another note to the captain of the leopard saying that he was ready to give up his ship the latter declined to take possession of the chesapeake and sailed away and there was nothing for us to do but return to hampton roads three of our crew were killed on the spot and eighteen were wounded eight of them badly and ten slightly Twenty-one round shots struck the Chesapeake's hull, and her lower rigging was badly cut up by grape-shot. She was in no condition to go to sea. We went to Norfolk, and in a few days a part of the crew was discharged. I was one of those sent away, and so, you see, my voyage up the Mediterranean was a very short one one of these days and it won't be a very long time either we'll have to go to war with england and just show her what our ships can do in fighting trim the leopard had a great advantage over us in having a perfectly trained crew while ours had had no training at all give us a chance and we'll teach the british a lesson they won't forget very soon i may as well continue the history of this affair by telling how it turned out the unfortunate deserters were taken to halifax where they were tried by a court-martial and sentenced to be hung the three americans were reprieved on condition that they should re-enter the british service the deserter from the halifax who was really an english subject was hung one of the three Americans who had been impressed into the Melampus died in the British service. The other two, after five years of captivity, were restored to the deck of the ship from which they had been taken. There was great excitement all through the country when the news of the affair between the Leopard and Chesapeake became known. For a while, local politics were forgotten and all party lines were set aside meetings were held in all the leading cities in which the feelings of the public were expressed in very vigorous language there was an almost universal demand for an immediate declaration of war against great britain our government complained to the british government and the latter promptly replied by half apologizing for the occurrence and declaring that the british admiral had exceeded his orders he was removed from the command of the squadron in american waters ostensibly as a punishment for his conduct but not long afterwards he was given a similar command on a more important station captain humphreys of the leopard was also removed and the british government appropriated a sum of money for the families of those who had been killed on board the chesapeake always after this the chesapeake seems to have been an unlucky ship when the war broke out she went on an extensive cruise she left boston toward the close of february eighteen thirteen passed the canary and cape verde islands crossed the equator and cruised for six weeks in the south atlantic ocean she then went to the coast of south america sailed through the west indies and up the coast of the united states to boston again during all that long cruise she met only three ships of war and captured only four merchant ships when she was going into boston harbor in a gale she lost a topmast and several men who were aloft at the time went overboard with it and were drowned after she came back to boston captain lawrence was assigned to command her he accepted with great reluctance on account of her unlucky reputation not because he had any superstitions on that account but because it was impossible to infuse into the crew the spirit that promises success, the Chesapeake was refitted for sea, and while she was refitting, the British man-of-war Shannon appeared off Boston. She carried thirty-eight guns, the same as the Chesapeake, and on the first of June, Captain Broke, who commanded her, sent a challenge to Captain Lawrence asking him to meet the Shannon, ship to ship, and try the fortunes of their respective flags. He offered to send all other ships beyond the power of interference, and to meet the Chesapeake at any point which Captain Lawrence might name within certain limits. The challenge reached Boston after the Chesapeake had sailed, and the letter was placed in the hands of Commodore Bainbridge, who commanded the station. When the Chesapeake got outside, the Shannon was seen lying off Boston Lighthouse under easy sail, with all colors displayed. Captain Lawrence understood this as a challenge, and when the pilot boat which was sent out to reconnoiter returned with the assurance that the Shannon was alone, he determined to accept it. End of chapter 13 Recording by Tom Hirsch.